0: Detroit and the world. Welcome to another episode of Authentically Detroit, broadcasting live from the Lower East Side here in the city, powered by the East Side Community Network, and sponsored by none other than the Ford Foundation, now a new content partner to BridgeDetroit.com. I'm Orlando Bailey, and my co-host Donna Givens is taking some much-needed time off to get married and to honeymoon, actually. So I am manning this ship solo, but I think you are in good hands. I think we will be just fine. Thank you for listening in and supporting our efforts to build a platform of authentic voices for real people on the east side of Detroit. We want you to like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast or whatever platform you listen to us on. We drop a new EP every week, so be sure to turn on those notifications. Today, we'll be having a conversation with the City of Detroit's Group Executive of Planning, Housing, and Development in the mayor's office. Just for educational purposes, this group executive oversees arts and culture, economic development, housing and revitalization planning, the Strategic Neighborhood Fund, the Housing Authority, and the Land Bank Authority, and probably other duties as a sign, I should say that. I am delighted to welcome back Arthur Jemison to Authentically Detroit.
1: Uh, Orlando, it's so good to be back with you. I had a fun time last time and excited about today. Yeah.
0: How about that other duties as a sign piece? <laughs> that's always uh, so It's much? a big,
1: it's a big group of things, but <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm pleased to do it. It's a, I love working for the citizens.
0: Oh, this awesome, awesome. So, yesterday, a friend of mine out of Cincinnati, uh, Naïma Bilal, who is a master at framing things. She actually, is my counterpart in Cincinnati. In Cincinnati, as she hosts the Urban Consulate there. And so uh, she was saying, you know what, we are so always just like on the go, we're always doing stuff, and we're always like right down to the nitty gritty without any reservation for humanity. And so I want to start this conversation uh, grounding your humanity by asking, how
1: are you, Arthur? <laughs> how are you? or uh, Orlando, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing all right. It's been a, uh, as you know, it's been a trying time. Um, and I thank you for asking that question. Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, my wife's doing great. My kids are doing great. Um, obviously, it's a it's a challenging time. It always surprises you the ways that it is uh, challenging. We're used to milestones in life and um, having to work in a space and time where you don't know what they're gonna be for not only for you, but for the people you work with and people you're working on behalf of. Uh, that's, I think, to me, the biggest, uh, the biggest challenge is not knowing when things are going to start to be different or change. Um, and then also knowing you, the work you have to put in to get them to change. So, uh, I'm, I'm doing great. I should probably in the same spirit, ask you, Orlando, how you're doing. Um, (laughs) Hey, I'm the
0: one asking the questions today. No,
1: I'm fair enough. You got it.
0: No, I'm, no, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. Uh, I, I honestly, I do struggle with my home space being my workspace. I don't like Mm -hmm. it. Uh, I thrive uh, off the energy of people. I like being around people. I like being able
1: to convene people,
0: as you know. And
1: (laughs) and that is actually, thank you for saying that there's one thing about my job that in the the conventional pre-COVID sense that I miss, it's that you actually get to talk to people as part of the work you do in person and live and understand, read rooms and, and understand people's feelings and hear from them in a way that's just not available now. And so. That is actually uh the toughest part, especially when you're in the planning business, and it, you know talking to a day to day citizen about how they feel about things is like why' we're, like, why I got into the work. I'm sure it's hard why you got into the work, so uh, I want to empathize with you hundred percent
0: yeah that. for sure that's you know it's it's really interesting because uh at Bridge Detroit, I'm over engagement and engagement has proven to be a challenge in the sense that I have known it to be, right? Having Mm -hmm. to figure out and wrap my mind around this virtual space because the work has not stopped. Planning has not stopped. I live in a neighborhood where planning is still going. So how are you guys having those conversations uh, in in COVID times?
1: So I have to say every week there's a check-in with the team about where we, we end up talking about this, the challenges of doing it. So um, right, I'd say probably late late March, early April, we in the planning department along with the Department of Neighborhoods really tried to get together and identify how we were going to do engagement in this time using Zoom and uh and sort of trying to make sure that what we were doing was um was actually touching people and that we were able to register community input. Uh it's so different um doing it um Doing it through Zoom or one of the other platforms, than it is doing it in person. Uh, I certainly know the council process, for example, which we uh, we had stuff at council every other day, just changes radically uh, when you're doing it in this in this manner. I think in some respects you don't get some of the feel and texture of the com- of community input when you do it like this. But I was also say I'm equally surprised at how well we can do it and. As we think about what happens after COVID, which I like to do because, in the spirit of humanity, it helps me get through things. I, I think a lot about whether there'll be ways to layer in the kind of uh, input you get from people who can't come downtown to a meeting or can't yeah, be Tom. present. Is there a way to uh, layer in what we've learned during this time into the way we do normal business? You know, because um, not everybody can get out of their house, and not everybody can, um, you know, is able to come downtown and park or or even come to the neighborhood meetings that we're having. So uh, I'm looking forward to thinking about not just how we adapt, looking back at how we adapted to this, but seeing if there's things we can do to expand the conventional way we've been doing things to get more people involved.
0: Yeah, I think the more expansive, the, more expansive, the better. Uh, we, you talked about the utilization of technology and Zoom And uh, just, you know, in my experience, there is a big learning curve and a technological gap and barrier to access uh, Mm -hmm. for, you know, a lot of residents uh, to be able to utilize these tools effectively to participate uh, in in the civil process that is happening in some neighborhoods. So figuring out how to solve for that.
1: Uh, Even the difference between calling in, I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: Yeah, no, go for it.
1: Even the difference between people who can call in and people who can appear on screen, you know, there's a big technological difference there. And the impression that they can leave when you're talking to them on the phone versus talking to them in the way we're talking now, it's a big big difference. And I guess I've been both surprised at how distant it feels sometimes. And I've also been surprised at how people can still bring it. Uh, and share what they need to share. Um, <laughs> they I,
0: I, <laughs> I, I I don't bring it.
1: I have had so many unique experiences that are just completely Detroit. From being in uh, doing it on on Zoom, that it, it just it, it was as if they were right there with me. Some of the things that, that people were saying was, and doing. So, <laughs> I
0: was telling Jermaine uh, and Alan last week. I said, you know, uh, sometimes the education that we get and where we, you know, academically looks very different and practicum in a city like Detroit because Detroit is just going to blow all of what you thought you knew up.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Oh, and it it has happened and people have been able to, I've seen people use their phone and use the visual in ways I never thought, in in ways that were more effective than being in person. I've also seen moments where it's like, Someone who would normally have a huge impact on the conversation—it's it's different because of the way that the technology we're using. So, yeah, um, I'd be excited for it to be over, but the stuff that we're definitely going to take into the new uh, into the new world yeah. when we hopefully things open back up—the
0: new world, a better world—I'm uh, yes. praying for, not back to normal, but back
1: to better. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Um,
0: so, I I really want to take this time uh, to just add an additional layer of accountability to you as a public official by asking you to explain what your job is.
1: <laughs> sure. <laughs> because no, it's, it's I no think, problem.
0: I think that, uh, I think people have ideas, but I don't think people really, a lot of people really don't know what Arthur Jemison does. We hear this name and we, we see him out, uh, in these meetings, but, uh, not really understanding, you know, the full scope of what falls in your purview and the departments that you have influence over. So I want to give you a second to talk about sure. your role and position.
1: I yeah. appreciate the question. So, uh, first of all, I want to tell anybody who's listening is a Detroiter, that this is, um, this is the, uh, I'm honored to serve the city and to serve the individuals, whether they agree with me or not. It's been my honor and pleasure to serve. And, and, uh, and I don't, I don't want people to know that I think about that every day as I do my work, um, how much gratitude I have for having the chance to do it. Um, but you mentioned uh, a series of places, PDD, the Planning and Development Department, HRD, the Housing and Revitalization Department, the Detroit Land Bank Authority, and the Detroit Housing uh, uh, Commission. Uh, those are my four uh, departments. And just to be very specific, um, Both the Land Bank Authority and the Detroit Housing Commission have boards um, which have significant um, mayoral appointments on them. And so my interaction with those uh, organizations and their executive directors is rooted in my connection um, to them, to their board members as appointees. So although I can speak to them and share what the mayor's uh, office's beliefs are and feelings and, and with their executive directors, they have independent uh, boards uh, that that help them govern. Um, unfortunately, for my planning team and my HRD team, they have to listen to me directly because I, I work. They they are actually departments of the city, uh, but that doesn't mean we don't have um, fun, and I don't uh, work closely with them. HRD uh, is my original department that I came from before I came to the mayor's office. So that is a very well-wed department by uh, Donald Rencher, um uh, who's um, what. Again, one of my yeah, favorite I colleagues that. I get to work yeah. with. Um, and then Be careful in, with
0: throwing that favorite around, okay? I know.
1: Well, I said one of. Don't speak <laughs> clearly one. So I leave room for a few more. So uh, another uh, a favorite, uh, Catherine Trudeau is the Deputy Director of Planning. One other thing I am doing now that I want to make sure people know is that I'm the Acting Planning Director. Um, Maurice Cox uh, departed to Chicago. Um, and so uh, and we are... Uh, i trying to identify a new planning candidate, but in the interim I'm acting oh, as a planning director. Oh, I thought it was you. I thought, no, I thought
0: you liked being no, both. I, I, uh,
1: it is, uh, it is the role of a planning director and the role that I have in the mayor's office are different enough that I really believe that, uh, we need to, very soon, uh, identify a new leader for the planning department to work with Catherine Trudeau. Um, again the moment is this is a difficult moment to recruit somebody uh just in the cycle of things no uh, anybody but, from within um, um i don't know i feel like you know it's a there are great candidates in the department let me leave it there because uh but I, but there's definitely great candidates among the departments i mentioned uh all the departments i get to supervise so um i do want people to hear explicitly that. The, that's under consideration as well. Um, that being said, we, need, I think that there's a a, a needed role there, the a uh, needed person there. But that's another part of my scope. So just to give a, a day in the life, uh, for me that usually starts, um, you know, during in person days it started about seven thirty. During uh, non in person days, it starts starts a little earlier. Um, and so, you know, what it'll usually be is a early meetings are always with. Uh, groups that are associated with the departments or the commission um, uh, or the authorities uh, where we get to have a little open-ended time to work on the policies or plans we're working on. Uh, and then the normal business hours are typically reserved for um, you know critical interactions with other department heads, um, meetings to advance um, projects. Um, and there's usually also a time in there where I'm interacting with a sort of public public elements of the work. Um, And then usually uh, near the end of the day, I have more meetings that involve people who who, uh, work with us. So we can have more, again, open-ended time. And then there's usually an array of two or three night meetings happening on Monday through Thursday. And I will usually attend one and sometimes two of those meetings. Um, So that's what a day in the life looks like. Uh, I'd say there's highlights. Um, I I spend, uh, I could spend some time uh, with the mayor every week, uh, preparation for that is uh, is something that we a lot of the different um, a lot of the different work during the week is about. Um, also, we have a meeting where we are implementing uh, the strategic neighborhood fund work uh, and the affordable housing leverage fund work, and so report yeah, out yeah. with the different groups um, who are assembled to work in different areas um, is a is another critical meeting. During the week that brings together, you know, that in that meeting you'll have EPW, you'll have GSD, you'll have PDD, HRD, uh, other sort of divisions of uh, groups of people, the, the all driving here. the project. Yes, uh, so that's that's usually a very busy uh, time of the week. Um, and then there's also, uh, but again, checking in with the board members, checking in with the executive directors of the groups are uh, is what I, what I spend a lot of time doing.
0: We're gonna do a glossary of terms when we post this. Uh, sure. This episode so that folks So know. many letters, I know. It's so, it's so many letters. Arthur, uh, there there's some breaking news that I wanna to talk to you about today. Uh, and this is a historic day. So while we're recording, just about an hour or so ago, uh, Vice Pre- former Vice President Joe Biden has announced his pick for VP in the person of Senator Kamala Harris out of California
1: that mm-hmm.
0: is indeed a historic decision um i could say that it was one that i expected uh, it's a logical choice for uh vice president biden and we're going to see what that means uh in the coming weeks days and months uh to the election but there is also some breaking news here in the city of detroit where we learned that the city is planning Uh, a deal where they would sell a little over 140 acres at the State Fairgrounds to Hillwood Investment Properties and Sterling Group Detroit to uh, do a few things. Uh, DDOT Transit Center that is currently there is supposed to be redone. Uh, I think Hillwood is uh, the contractor that builds a lot of the Amazon uh, centers Uh, and Mm -hmm. so explain just the significant amount of investment that's coming. I'm hearing that it's private investment uh, that will uh, fuel this development as well as the potential for jobs. People, people want jobs
1: here. Need yep. Jobs. Yeah. So um, first off, um, as a son of a mother uh, and um, you know, uh, it, it's just when you think about, what's happened with Kamala uh, becoming the vice presidential candidate. It's, uh, I'm, I'm obviously moved, you know, I was raised by an uh, African-American mother. Um, those who can't see me, don't know that I'm, this is a black person, <laughs> although or maybe they're hearing the voice. I, I would just say, um, I think for all of us, especially those of us who have started with the leadership of a black woman in, in their lives, they know what this means. It yes. means it means everything um and uh so i'm thrilled about that and i just just want to dwell there for a minute um it's 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 very exciting and hopefully it'll result in um her becoming the vice president Um, yeah a win so on um as it pertains to the uh the state fair site so um what one of the things that's good is that we've got um nick corey uh and Luke Polson um, acting in the role of the jobs and economy team group executive. So he's like, he's sort of my partner in, in crime and I'm focused on neighborhoods and housing and uh, affordability and, um, and infrastructure and things that, that, that really pertain to the inner ring and, and outer neighborhoods. Um, and um, the jobs and economy team and the growth corporation really focus on both the industrial development of the city as well as the uh, sort of the downtown um, downtown properties, so um, I've had the chance to be involved a little bit in this, in uh, helping to identify the uh, permitting path uh, with the uh, with the jobs and economy team, uh, and giving some advice through uh, so through early design review and the PPR process, another alphabet uh, pre plan review process that. PDD and, and the building safety department run um, but it's really being led and it's really the, the day is really for uh, both the, the Detroiters who will be able to work there um, and the transit center that's going to be built there and the people who led the engagement with the developer uh, Nick and Luke and I want to give them uh, full credit for having driven it uh, and as it gets through its permitting and approvals process we're going to be there and and, uh, and have their back in getting it to happen
0: so I want to ask about uh, the the transit center uh, really quickly. We know that uh, we have the Rosa Parks transit center downtown. And so we're now going to have two major DDOT transit centers in the city. Nothing is happening with the Rosa Parks center downtown as a result no, of this one. Okay.
1: Not not to my knowledge. And I've been close enough to where I would have heard something about that, but I, I could cool. be wrong. I'm, I'm 99% certain that I'm not
0: all right cool so uh more i i know that there's more coming uh we're going to learn more and more about this i uh i am i'm 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 enthused and excited about uh the opportunity for uh 1200 new job new full-time jobs and anxious to see what that looks like the mayor announced today i know that you weren't uh, super heavily involved in the project. So I'll let you off the hook, but we gotta have, (laughs) we gotta have some, we gotta have some folks back on. So
1: it's, it's a, but I will just share that, you know, it's a, for us to be where we want to be, we've got to do like two things in economic development at the same time. You know, we have to create jobs, um, of the, of right now that people, um, People can walk into and perform and 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 get a great wage. Uh, we've also got to have the jobs that are going to drive the future. Um, so when I look at something like um, the Michigan Central Station and I look at something like FCA, you can see the the need to get both at the same time, um, mm-hmm. and in some cases to sort of do it with assets that uh, are hidden. Frankly, you know thinking about Michigan Central Station as an asset in our community is a newer a newer thing for a long time it was one of the things that was holding back Corktown but recognizing that property's history uh, its role and then having a kind of institutional actor like Ford take it on is it's everything on the other side of town FCA creating you know 5000 jobs um, union jobs um, that Detroiters are first and very close for. to that yeah you know that's, you know, each of these things has sort of uh, downsides and, and issues that need to be mitigated, but, but they really represent the two kinds of things we're trying to do in economic development. Um, and I think the Amazon effort, again, I wasn't as involved, uh, is really more of an effort to create the kind of jobs people need today. Uh, and so I think we got to keep finding that balance between how do we position ourselves as, as an immediate part of the future while also having opportunities people can use today to build that bridge to the future. Yeah, yeah.
0: I wanna, I wanna switch gears a, a little bit um, and talk to you about uh, Proposal N, in uh, for Neighborhoods. Uh, mm-hmm. Specifically, it's a plan to save and renovate every vacant house possible to eliminate the blight from those that can't be saved and to stimulate the growth of Detroit companies employing Detroit residents in the construction-related industry. I believe those are your words, sir? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, one of the one of the things that I would like for you to just sort of break down for our listeners is the the goals uh, that the uh, proposal sets out right Sure the city council city council is now on rehab they voted just a couple of weeks ago to put this on the November, ballot that barely made barely made the vote but it got it got through um so this is something that Detroiters need to educate themselves on to make an educated decision in november and so yeah proposal and talk talk to me a little bit about the the eight goals that you've laid out
1: sure um i'll weigh out the goals and then i'll talk a little bit about the so the basic arithmetic as you were asking about before just to make sure we're uh covering it so um we want to do a series of things at the same time that uh, we think is gonna result in um, when it's when it's con- deployed in connection and with a, a planning process, we think these things have the chance to really change the city in a, in a great way. Um, first, we want to um, preserve every house that can be saved. Every year, there's a thousand occupiable houses or, or a thousand houses that could be rehabilitated that um, that deteriorate to the point that they can't be uh, rehabilitated. So, what we want to do is preserve 8,000 of them, in right time and place, so that they can be um, acquired by um, by families or other people for occupancy and rehabilitated. That's the first. And these step. are
0: all properties within Belong- the inventory Sorry. of the land bank.
1: You, every one of the properties I'm talking about is in the inventory of the land bank. Um, the next thing we want to do is there's another 8,000 houses that we don't think can be saved. So um, those houses need to be uh, demolished. And so um, we have the, if we're able to do those two things at the same time, uh, we think that's going to address, um, if it's done right in the right sequence and right time, it's going to, again, create the kind of neighborhood change um, broad based across the city that people have been asking for. Now, uh, something that I think I wanna highlight among those first two items, is that when we presented this last year, community members, the council, others said, listen, um, you're underestimating the importance of keeping these houses and the, and the role they can play in in neighborhood growth. So they it didn't get voted. I mean, people said no. And then in community meetings, people said, you need to do better. So I think our, our response was, listen, the long list of things you think you thought we needed to do better. We needed to have better options for uh, people to uh, not be tax foreclosed. We needed to have uh, a, a department of the city where there was 100% council oversight over all of the work that was done. We needed to have a real MOU between the city and the land bank that included new land uh, policies. So we kind of went back to the drawing board. to the 8,000 that's in that conversation I was just having. Uh, It's because people demanded it. I want to make sure people have heard that. So the third thing, after the first 8,000 preserved, the second 8,000 being demolished, is we need to put Detroiters to work doing this work. Um, This is a discrete task uh, that Detroiters uh, have companies that they've been opening and operating and running for years. They can do this work. So we need to pursue a procurement approach that allows Detroit-based businesses, Detroit headquartered businesses, Detroit-based small businesses to be the leaders in executing this work. So, um, you know, we want the Ron Rickmans and the the Yangas, and the other folks who've been doing this demo work in the city, we want their companies to be part of the growth that happens to the companies that do this demolition and rehabilitation work. Uh, I think that was actually an essential part of what we're doing few examples, we're extending the, um, what was originally Coleman Young's executive order has been updated a couple of times, but it requires Mm -hmm. that 51% of all work hours be completed by Detroiters. Um, We also, so that executive orders, it does not naturally extend to these activities, demolition and rehab, but we are causing it to extend to demolition and rehab. Um, Oh, we also agreed to make sure that 30% of all of these demolitions are set aside for um, uh, Detroit small businesses. Um so there are a number of other uh, key, key um, messages that and agreements that we made uh, to get this passed. So that's, uh, so those are three of the-
0: set aside for Detroit small businesses, are you talking mm-hmm. about sidewalk repair, environmental remediation? All those of those kind of activities, okay. First
1: Every thing. one of the activities that goes into rehab or demo is covered, governed by the is going to be governed by the um, executive order, and is going to be. Um, and then thirty percent of that work will be done by Detroit-based small businesses.
0: Can I? Add, I know you're not through with the eight the eight goals yet, but <laughs> while, while we're while we're here you, uh, on rehab, I want to ask you exactly what what does rehab look like? Is the city sure. fully rehab plan to fully rehab homes? That are in the land bank inventory, or are we talking about? I know in the proposal there was language around securing the roof and boarding it up. Is what, what exactly are we talking about when we're talking about? No, I pre-
1: appreciate the question. So, um, what causes houses to go from being salvageable to being unsalvageable? Um, openness. Oh, it's a, basically they're all functions of openness. Um, either uh, open doors and windows, um, and they're. And the ability of people and water to get into the structure eventually um, causes there to be so much trash or so many uh, cracks in the foundation or so many holes in the roof that the the property can't recover. So what we're going to be doing is um, doing something we call trashing out. Uh, It sounds like it should be simple, but it's not as simple as it sounds. Getting all of the debris and trash out of every unit. Putting it in, in a in a dumpster and taking it to an appropriate um, facility uh, to be disposed of, then um, fixing the roof and sealing uh, each property up so it doesn't have uh, water coming in, and then using a, a product like um, Secure View. Um, uh, there's also mm-hmm. those uh, the, the the metal plates uh, that the dogs face. uses to secure the houses. So um, using um, one of those technologies to secure it now just to give people some perspective. So if you go onto the Detroit land bank authority website today, and you participate in an auction, um, you're going to get a property that um, has been cleaned out, is sometimes sealed up, but does not have any roof work done to it. So, you know, it's actually going to be exceed what you would get if you were going onto the uh, auction site. I would also highlight that, the, there's gonna be a tight sequence between when the, that securing is done and when that property's made available for sale um, so that, that we have the best chance of getting that property in the hands of someone who can fully rehabilitate it. Um, it's probably about $15,000 uh, worth of uh, rehabilitation work that's gonna go on in the property. Um,
0: but it's a start, it's not a It's a, rehab.
1: Absolutely, it's a start. Gotcha. Just to give a, an example, um, and this is something that we are actively working on, if we are able to, um, if we're able to, uh, and we've been working on this for some time, create a loan product that gets people a rehab loan of 50 to $60,000 on top of that secured structure, you know, we believe that people are gonna be able to, um, be able to use that uh, loan to create a move-in ready house uh, at at what would probably be a five hundred or six hundred dollar a month payment versus nine hundred dollars house you'd be able yeah. to buy a house using you buying a, a
0: secured house. Buy house cash starting at thousand dollars, so it's the same exactly. Point. Okay,
1: exactly, and then so it could possibly then using pay this cash loan. for a house. Okay, exactly, and then you again. This is where the city's some of those growing edges for us are. Are can we create a rehab loan program in partnership with with lenders? That that gets again an average Detroiter with an average Detroiter's credit score, you know, being able to um, borrow to rehab that and then move into it. I mean, that's what I think folks want <laughs> to do. Thank you.
0: Thank you for saying that. You know, I, I got to take so I got to we got to pause right here to talk about uh, the the critique that uh, we I have long had for the zero percent home. Mm-hmm. Uh, Interest loan, and it's no secret. I think you've heard this critique from me before, is that it's out of reach for many Detroiters, especially the Detroiters that already are in homes that need repair, virtually just sort of leaving them out of the market in terms of being able to uh, rehab their homes. I appreciate a new product coming on for the average Detroiter, for folks who are buying homes and need to get them up to code pretty quickly by the standards of the land bank but what i've always heard for the eight years that i worked at ecn orlando we need money for home repair in our houses and so is there a way to expand 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 this potential loan and i'm going to advocate can we find some grant money too uh for residents that are already Keeping these neighborhoods as viable as they are and as desirable as they are to fix their homes.
1: So we're gonna. I've got so many answers for you. We hope we get back to our the rest of our list. But uh, <laughs> so you know, your advocacy. I mean, people, the advocacy of day to day folks has caused that credit score to go requirement to go down for the zero percent home repair loan program from what was started out as like a six twenty five, and today it's like five sixty. So if you are out there thinking, I can't qualify for this loan, I, I do want you to come in uh, and look at it. We've got 600 satisfied customers at this point. Um, I think what we've learned from that program is- We not, underwrite
0: them. You know, I'm, I'm the chair for One Detroit Credit Union. So right.
1: I, I, yeah, yeah. So I mean, this I, is a, but this is a fair critique. So my point is like, I think what we've learned from that program is it, there's gotta be a suite of answers. So, the, I mean, something I've I learned in this job is that it it ain't one answer, it's like about four to five answers, maybe one or two of which may not be the right answer three years from now, it might be the right answer now. I think as we we even looked at whether we could use 0% as a way to make, um, as a way to help these these stabilized houses work. So again, that's the type of thing that we're doing during that 7.30 to nine o'clock in the morning process (laughs) that I mentioned during the day, trying to figure out how to, are there ways we can bend some of our programs to work differently? One other point I'd say is that um, and I'm hoping to talk more about this um, in a few different platforms. You know, the advocacy on behalf of the home repair program has caused us to frankly allocate more in the budget for it. I mean, there's between the money that's um, unspent from 1920 that we're about to spend as soon as COVID is over, which is about, $3 $3 million to the amount allocated this year, which is $4 million. Like the people, the, the 2015 $2.5 million has been eclipsed very significantly in the following years by a lot more. So that's one fact. The other fact, I think people think about home repair the way they did in 80s the 90s when, you know, today the city's CDBG budget is $35 million, you know, next this year. This is not enough. Money it used to be meds. like 70 yeah. million dollars so so it's it's it, that's not the only reason but I we feel it too sure in community
0: development that. organizations when CDBG money community we say we the alphabet community development black grant dollars were you know uh you know really helped to prop up the work that a lot of cdo's were doing in the city uh that has completely gone away and so we we know
1: to get it it's it's bad so in the interest of just helping uh listeners i want to go back to the the thing the list of things so um at the end of the list of things was uh people were saying this package may sound better than before but we're worried about how much it costs and so what we've been saying is uh two things first um if you're looking at your tax bill right now you'd see that the city, when you pay your taxes, you're paying um, nine mills for debt. So it's been that way for the last uh, five or six years. Um, Next year, the mills you would pay would go down to six. So instead of, uh, so there's $29 a year approximately that you would get back, you'd get to keep uh, next year. that you, uh, but if you agree to keep your taxes where they are today and not have them go down by $29, um, we're gonna be able to afford to do all this work. Uh, The second thing I hear uh, about this uh, a lot, and it's also itemized, is that instead of having this work be observed, you know, in the way that people saw over the last five or six years, we've, um, at the request of council, after the uh, discussion last year, was we've said, we're gonna bring all demolition activities under the jurisdiction of the city. So the council has complete oversight over all of them. So a new department. Further, exactly, we have a new department led by LaJuan Counts, uh, working with uh, Brad Dick. Um, it's good; They're gonna be the ones executing the demolitions as well as the rehabilitations. So the one other dimension that I don't think people know enough about is that the council uh, and the mayor's office uh, are gonna have a demolition review advisory board. Um, so every year that board is gonna meet, I think it's uh, they meet every quarter, and they review the progress of the demolition and the rehabilitation plans for that year. So there's gonna be everyday Detroiters looking at the way we do this work, uh, so that it's not, uh, it's not only is it being, does it have complete oversight by the council, which it, it didn't have before because it was at the land bank, but it's now going to have complete oversight by the council and a board of citizens um, named by the, uh, by the council members, whose, whose point is to make sure that the issues that you're hearing in neighborhoods are brought forward. Um, so those are a couple of things that we thought were really important to do, to make sure people know um, that we can afford to do this, um, and, and two, that it's gonna be done in a way that's different enough that people should feel like, we've got new leadership, new levels of oversight, uh, to make sure that it gets done right.
0: Hmm. I want to talk about uh, the work that has been done with uh, community development organizations in the city, uh, my old stomping grounds, uh, specifically within the Detroit Twenty-One group. And one of the goals is to partner yes. with those CDOs um, and other groups to rehab homes and redevelop property and neighborhoods. And so, tell me, tell me what that looks like. Um, is the city turning over or transferring ownership to CDOs to uh, rehab these homes. And these, this sounds like a full rehab, <laughs> maybe a full rehab or a partial rehab. And then those CDOs can list the home and sell it or become uh, property managers or landlords and lease them out at an affordable rate. First of all, how did you get to that decision, and then what does it look like in practicum if voters choose to accept Proposal in November?
1: So, um, let's see. So, the the quick answer is, um, again, trying to make it fun for listeners here. Um, We, I would say that we not may not seem this way, but I I like to think that we do some listening. So, last year during the debate about demo, um, you know. I feel like we have the general good offices of most of our community development organizations. They have their critiques, but they know that we listen. Um, but, you know, from no, none other than Donna and, and a few others, there were editorials saying, you know, we can do better on this, uh, on, on the bond proposal that was being made. And that led to a discussion and engagement between PDD and HRD in, in particular uh, with the community development organizations, uh, many of whom are in the, the Detroit 21, uh, who wrote several of the uh, editorials. So one of the directives I got from uh, the mayor and kind of doing an after action report was, look, we can't do this work all by ourselves, especially if we're moving into a, a realm where we're doing a lot more rehab. Um, we need partners and that's gonna be everyone from, uh, from block clubs to community development organizations. And so it really asked me to make sure that we had substantive, that we were doing something in substantive partnership with the community development organizations uh, that wasn't you know, like a let's do some things to change their mind in a short term, but like how do we get them invested in what we're doing in a way that we haven't before. So uh, that led me to come up with a few of my own ideas, but as usual, kind of listening to folks from the CDO. They had their own notions of how to do it. Um that come from their I'm own sure work. They did. <laughs> No, it wasn't. And yeah. and they were yeah. and the proposals were close enough and um and and they had a lot of good consensus building and momentum around there. So we said, you know what, let's just let's adopt this. And so what this is, is it's a way for community development organizations to um, complete rehabilitations of Uh, vacant and abandoned house stock that they get from the land bank. Now, when we first began working on it, we hadn't made the switch to the partial rehabs. um, So that added a little bit of a twist, but basically the plan is that um, the community development organizations would get um, operating support and gap closing funds so that they can pay the difference between what someone can buy a house house for if they're earning 50% AMI. and what it costs to deliver that house in a, wow. in a fully rehabilitated move-in condition. And so there's the, the gap money, there's the operating support, and then there's a revolving loan fund that pays for the rehabilitations um, uh, to, to make sure that the organizations have the money they need to to do the rehabs. So uh, I think it's a pilot program. Uh, there's eight uh, groups, uh, at least they'll be able to participate, hopefully more. Uh, but the idea is we get 80 to 100 houses over the next uh, four to five years done uh, using this method. And it's our hope that it leads to a broadening of the program. But but it'll be the first thing time we've done something like this recently. So we want to make sure we do it um, step by step and do it right. But it, yeah. it was in the minds of the CDOs we talked to a, a material change in the way we were doing business. And it seemed like the right way to go.
0: Yeah, I got to tell you, I'm happy to see... Uh, the partnership uh, that is forming with the community development industry. Uh, I'm glad that Mayor Duggan is making this pivot and putting uh, his faith in a partnership with CDOs. I think that uh, <laughs> CDOs have long been the first stop of residence looking for resources and looking yep. for answers. And so I think this is a tremendous acknowledgement to uh, include operating support as well as gap closing finances so that the CDO isn't taking a huge hit and running such a program, I think is, I think that's pretty amazing. I think that's admirable. And I think people should know that their local CDO that you go to and call every day, because I got those call every day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, th- th- they were a part of forming this, this new proposal. And, you know, one of the questions that sort of is rising to the top for me, and I asked this question uh, before the council vote, is where do you start? right uh we were having a conversation in our newsroom about this is that we, we got 8000 homes that we want to save and we have 8000 homes uh, that we know need to be demolished but there are homes that are deteriorating every single day that is adding to that number how yep. are you choosing where to go and where to deploy these resources
1: isn't that the isn't that the question um It is a question I get um, a lot. So let me try to quickly, because I think we're probably running out of time, try to illustrate the two poles and then get into the middle of it. So um, there's, what I want folks to hear from me is that when, we're going to try to do two things at the same time. One is, Mrs. Jones in her block club has a house that's been that's way far gone that needs to be, needs to be taken down. And she wants to g- get the house lot next to her and fence and it off and, and put a garden in or... or, or. So that's one, and it, frankly, most days, that's the, that's the first place we gotta go. To sell the bonds though, we have to convince bond buyers that, we, that our, we're making an investment that has ROI you know, return on investment, and you know, for us who who have the luxury of being uh, working with people in the city, you know, Halloween is part of the ROI. Getting Halloween back from Angels Night, um, fewer fires, and the benefits of that is another part of ROI. And so is you know, in in some places, that uh, we've had significant reductions in crime as a result of the, that these demolitions. The ROI that the bond buyers are looking for is, how is the tax revenue of the city going to be increased such that this is a smart investment? So we gotta bring those two things together. Here's what I think that means. And again, this is um, uh, this is uh, kind of the discussion, um, which is where, you know, if you're living in a neighborhood that's strong that might have one house that's vacant, um, you know, you wanna get that house secured and you want a new family to move into that house. Uh, and so that give, this, this, these bond funds are gonna give us the chance to secure that house, get it on the auction site and get a new family in there. Um, the, and then in places that we have not been able, where HHF wouldn't have let us go, um, you're gonna see houses uh, come down in those neighborhoods because in, in many cases we, we're not going to be able to save them, um, so you're going to see those two different things happen in those two kinds of places, and in the middle, um, there's you're going to see a much more strategic deployment of preservation and demo, um, which is going to start out sort of on its own, but as it as it gets as we get deeper into it, it's going to be more and more influenced by plans. One of the commitments we made in the um, and, by oh, I do,
0: the neighborhood plans that are already underway
1: or by- Neighborhood plans moved. that are underway and we made a commitment to plan to complete neighborhood plans for the rest of the city over the four years approximately of this plan. Um, so we're going to be uh, working hard to get everybody uh, a neighborhood plan um, so we'll be in places like Chadsey Condon, we'll be in places like yeah, and that, Midwest, know, we'll be in I'm places asking. like yeah. uh, Osborne. So that yeah. as you see the houses preserved and come down in places where kind of in between the places that are the hardest hit and the places that um, are the strongest, that's where you're going to see more planning so that we can make the most of the, of the demolitions and, um, and preservations that we can do. Because that's that's it's it's really in in contacting and, and being with neighbors that will figure out the right way to uh, to talk that uh, that those yeah. preservation and demolitions off.
0: Yeah, I'm channeling I'm channeling Willie Mae Gaskin in District Four on mm-hmm. uh, on Shoemaker and uh, I think Shoemaker and Garland uh, is where she lives, and she's outside of any strategic uh, neighborhood and. Was sort of the HHF maps were weird, so she wasn't directly in an HHF area, and she she's she has been on us for years. Just about when am I ever going to be chosen? And so I think you I think it's a fair question asking where does it start? And I think it's a I think it is also uh, okay for us to. Tr- Try to figure out for those folks who feel forgotten and left out and unchosen for uh, for the last few years and all of this new stuff and new development and new money new money is coming to offer them a glimmer of hope uh, when it comes to you know her being Garland she's on Garland uh, okay to see just to see her see her block, Um to see the houses that are vacant. And dilapidated come down she's been advocating for years and so when I ask that question I'm asking that question because she would ask that question I know we got to go it's never it's never enough time with you Arthur I do want to ask two quick questions sure Uh, and I I know you got to go last two quick questions is for the homes that will be torn down in SNF neighborhoods I wanna ask if there is an, would there be an opportunity for residents to get those lots? And I know that in times past that DOBA sales have been frozen in SNF neighborhoods. If de, if demolitions starts taking place in those neighborhoods, will residents still be able to get first dibs at those homes?
1: So, short like answer is lots. yes. Excuse me, okay. Yes, in addition, uh, we created a series of vacant land policies that sort of wet people with their block club support bylaws lots that may not be their sidewalk, um, And th- those are being rolled out over the next three months. Um, but we did that as part of our uh, new land bank MOU because people all asked about that. I think we're going to be pursuing a series of policies like that where uh, you can get not only access to uh, vacant land in your neighborhood first, um, but we're also hoping to use programs like building blocks and maybe some, even some new stuff we're working on um, to make sure that the neighbors get first crack at the houses uh, in, that, in their neighborhood, uh, as well as the lots, because that's becoming increasingly important.
0: All right. Arthur Jimison, group executive in the mayor's office for the city of Detroit, overseeing planning, housing and development. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. It's never enough time. You got to come back on. You
1: know, I, I I would love to. I also want to make sure everybody knows that for I'm doing this for educational purposes, consistent with uh, the rules. Um, I'm neither asking you to vote for or against proposal and but trying to provide information. Uh, listen, I thank you very much directly, Orlando, for having me on the show. I love it.
0: Thank you. Have a good one, Arthur. See you soon. See you soon. All righty. All right, guys, so that wraps up this episode of Authentically Detroit. If you have topics or anything, news items that you would like to discuss on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on our socials at Authentically Detroit on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at authenticallydetroit at gmail.com. Listen, that conversation with Arthur Jemison was much too short. I had about a gazillion questions, and it was just not enough time, and so we're going to try our hardest Uh, to get him back on the show, but I really do hope that you, the listener, found the conversation um, helpful as well as educational. He is your group executive. He is a a public official, and uh, we should know what he does, how he does it, so that we can all hold him accountable, you included, myself included. Thank you all so much for listening to Authentically Detroit. Want to shout out uh, Arthur Jemison for being with us. Shout out to my co-host in her absence, Donna Givens, and her fiance that's going to be her husband in a few days, Kevin Davidson. I'm so happy that the two of you have found each other and have found love. And uh, shout out to uh, Bridge Detroit and the Ford Foundation. Until next time, we thank you for listening, and we want you to catch the wave.